felt an excitement and anticipation as this fall is launching. So way to go for starting your fall off uh, on the right foot and being together in the gathering this morning. As uh, our scripture readers are preparing, uh, they're going to read in just a moment. I want to mention a couple of things. Um, church family, I'm, I'm going to ask you, and some of you are aware of this, Ryan Abel's mom uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, passed away after a fairly lengthy battle with cancer. And so we, as a church family, want to express to Ryan and Amber our love and our prayer support and, and their whole family at this challenging time. They've had uh, a, f- a few years of some significant challenges. And so church family, be praying for them. A celebration of life service is, uh, is here on Saturday, September 29th. And uh, I'm just blanking on the time, but you can call the church office for that. Also want to inform you that a family that has been a part of our church family, Eaglemont Church family, since the very first gathering on, uh, in October 2006, uh, Dave and Michelle Childs and their four awesome kids are moving to Calgary. And uh, Dave has, uh, w- was offered just a, a tremendous uh, job opportunity there. So congratulations, Dave, on that. And I understand that they are, t- there they are. So, and you're relaxing. The four kids are being ministered to. That's, that's awesome. Well, we are going to miss you and your family. Both of you have uh, invested so much into the life of this church from the get-go. And it's been, a, it's been a joy to journey with you in, in ministry and be partners in ministry and the work of God through this local church. And, and uh, we just honor you and, and God bless you for, for that heart. And that'll continue in where God plants you in a church family in Calgary, we know. And we just pray God's continued blessing on, on you and your family as you go. So listen, as the scripture is read this morning by Bridget, Abigail, and Stephen. Ephesians 2.19, now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Ephesians 1.22 and 23 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church in his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you very much for those powerful verses. And Abigail, that wasn't so bad, was it? Give them a hand. It took some courage. Thanks. Thanks to all of you for being willing to read scripture this morning. Great, great verses from Ephesians. And just a point of information, those readings, those verses, really um, are intended to lay a broader foundation for where we're going these next three Sundays as opposed to being... uh, this morning anyway, specific uh, verses that we dig into. The church God wants us to be. Pray briefly with me. God, thank you that you lay out clearly in your Bible, in your word to us, 
how you want us to function, how you want us to live life as individuals and in community with other Christians in the body of Christ. Open up our hearts and minds to your truth today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago at a council leadership meeting, our governance uh, lead team, we were talking about this very thing, about what our church could be under God's direction. It was exciting, encouraging conversation. I took notes, and I want to relay to you three comments that were made, very significant comments as we interacted together. One of the leaders said, it's it's not about me. And we were talking specifically about when we come together on a Sunday mornings. He said, it's not about me. It's about God and the other person. Another leader said, I need to reset my heart and my focus on others when I come in on a Sunday morning. Reset button. It's good. Another leader said, if you give, you get. Instead of our focus being about trying to be fed, it's better that we shift our focus to who it is that I can give to or who it is I can feed or who it is I can give encouragement to. What mature things to do and say. Christ followers who are intentional about coming to a Sunday gathering like this with that type of attitude will will revolutionize the experience for everyone, for for ourselves and, and others. As a matter of fact, I had somebody... So excited to receive an email like this a, a few weeks ago from somebody who, who was journeying this same path about, uh, about uh, uh, moving from a self-focus here in the gathering to how they could serve and, and how their, their attitude and approach impacted. And they were already professing that that was the case, the positive impact of a, of a shift in focus like that when coming together in, in terms of the experience positively that it is and can be. And uh, that was their statement. To put feet to this, what, what if on a Sunday morning when we went out our door, we got in the habit of, of, of uh, just asking God to, to use, use me today in the gathering, God, in your own way, how, however you want that to look. How can I give in the gathering today? And what a, what a thing to teach our kids. Who can I encourage Who can I express prayer for? Who can I be looking for who's maybe discouraged and and took every bit of energy in them to come today? I I can be used by God, all of us. What a a great thing to get in the habit of doing. For some of you, this church thing is a new experience. Some of you are in exploratory mode, and I just say way to go for that. Way to go. Way to go for being here. For those who grew up in church, and many of us did, some of you have good memories, some of you not so much. Let me say this. If church was a negative experience for you, don't give up on Jesus or his church, his, church, his bride that he knows is imperfect but that he loves. Don't give up on Jesus or his idea of what the body of Christ is just because a few people didn't represent him very well. Don't give up on him because of others. I, I mean, I see that quite often and it, it, it bugs me. It's, it's silly. We know we're imperfect human beings. 
Don't misunderstand. That's not an excuse for reckless behavior, right? And careless behavior. I'm grateful for the, ah, for most of the experience I had, experiences I had growing up in church from day one of my life I've been in church. <laughs> my, my memories of church life involve something life-altering. And some of, you have experienced, some of you are old enough to have experienced this. The flannel graph. The flannel, the flannel graph. <laughs> Cutting edge audio visual. I mean, especially if you had a teacher who made it come to life. And there's this paper man. He's supposed to be lame, but he looks fine until your teacher rips his leg off. Now he's lame. And he's lying there. Jesus comes along on the board, you know. Touches him. We're all looking. Now what, teacher? A little bit of scotch tape. Good as new. The guy's up on his feet and on his way. Miracles powerfully displayed before our very own eyes. The flannel graph. I say we bring it back. <laughs> Students, you missed out. You missed out. I'm sorry. Some of my church memories are dangerous. Back in the day when we had Sunday night church, in the wintertime it was dark. We had slick bottom shoes on. There was snow that didn't get cleared in the parking lot back then. Come on. That's wussy. Hide, bumper, across the parking lot. Oh, it was fun. Students, if I ever catch you, I'm going to have to join in. Parents, you know I'm kidding. Don't, don't do that. Fun memories. I, I have a, another memory came to my mind. Like, like when I was about, I was nine. Kids, tobogganing night. Crusaders, missionettes. You know what that meant. Together with the ladies. I was nine. Yeah. It's tobogganing night. Well, I don't remember anything about any run down the hill on the tubes or tobogs. I literally don't. Because there was a girl that I liked that was on the bus and a part of that night. The only thing, literally, I'm telling you the truth. The only thing I remember is getting off the bus. The bus stopped at Dairy Queen on the way home. Debbie was her name. She got off the bus. I followed her. We went into Dairy Queen together. And I made a date out of it because I bought her ice cream. That's how I rolled at that stage in my life. Literally, I was nine. Wow, what a memory. It's getting silly here, isn't it? Church memories. What is that for you if you have them? If you don't, I propose that you could create some in the context of a community that isn't perfect here, but is a loving body who, who just wants to grow at loving God and loving people in our broken world. There's opportunity. There's a place for you. Sometimes we don't feel like that. We feel the disconnect. You know what? We can make choices to, to, to grow through those feelings. But in my memory, I also, I also fortunately remember good spiritual experiences in church life. I recall youth retreats where commitments to God were solidified, at least for the next week, right? Uh, I, remember, I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit as a young person at the end of a Sunday night church uh, gathering in, in, a, in a time of prayer, very significant times. I remember Sundays when missionaries would, would come and visit us from faraway places. Remember, no internet back then. The world 
seemed a lot bigger. And they would share and they would, they would talk about what they're doing for God. And I sensed that there was something far more than just mere adventure that took them across the ocean. It was the, it was the gospel of Jesus and the world's need to hear it. And I, I remember how those times fostered in me an open heart to world missions and to God's cause in the world. Even as a kid, a teenager, I remember interactions with adults and I remember interactions with sometimes young adults who communicated care to me as a bratty pastor's kid. They communicated care. Why? How did that show itself? Uh, Other ways I know, but simply by them stopping to talk to me in the church lobby. It's not difficult stuff. I'm grateful for my experiences growing up in church. And so for these three Sundays, we we talk about uh, the church God wants us to be. As we do, there there are many characteristics. Today, there are many characteristics we could talk about. There's two that have been just floating around and percolating in my heart and mind these days that I want to unpack with you. And this is an important topic because as a church, it's it's vital for us to, to, to know who we are and who God wants us to be, of course. But on this point of knowing who we are, there's a little story I want to read for you. I'm going to read literally out of the book, an excellent book by pastor and author Wayne Cadero called The Irresistible Church. It's a good book. No disrespect. He writes this. The picture on the coffee canister caught him cold. The man blinked, rubbed his eyes, and peered over his grocery cart at the image on the taster's choice coffee canister sitting on the store shelf. The face peering back at him was unmistakable. The sideburns were darker. The lines around the eyes weren't there yet, but it was clearly him, Russell Christoph, an unassuming 58-year-old school teacher from Northern California. Christoph picked up the can, showed it to the clerk. Yep, that's certainly you, she said. Wow, you're famous. He bought the can of coffee and headed to the lawyer's office. A legal dispute began with the coffee company. It seemed 16 years ago, uh, Christoph had been working as a part-time model and had posed for the picture along with several other models who tried out for the role. Company representatives told Christoph that if the picture, his picture, was ever used, they'd call him and finalize the contract. No call ever came. Years went by and all was forgotten until one day an employee pulled the photo to use in an advertisement evidently believing that consent had been given. And his picture was printed and printed and printed and printed. For six years, it showed up on coffee canisters all over the world. When the dust settled, a jury concluded that Christoph's picture had indeed helped the company sell coffee, lots of coffee, and it had all been done without Christoph's permission. The court awarded Christoph a payment that included more than 5% of the company's profits from Taster's Choice sales for the years the photo circulated. His award, $15.3 million. What's the moral of the story? Cadero asks. It pays to know who you are. Now, I think the author probably stretched it a little bit to make his point. But it's true for us as a church. It's important. 
It's important for us to know collectively who we are from God's perspective. We only thrive and we only become effective in his mission if we understand who he wants us to be and how he wants us to function as a church body. Church family, we often say. So, first of two things that I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about. God wants us, first of all, to be intergenerational while being solidly focused on reaching, discipling, and keeping our youth. God wants us. I believe God wants the church, any church. But God wants, I hear this call for us as an individual local church. God wants us to be intergenerational by, while being solidly focused on reaching, keeping, and discipling our youth. Influencing younger people for Christ begins with older Christians being aware that they watch us. Some of you know this by practical examples. Teenagers, listen, this applies to you. The children in this church, and some of you interact with them so in such a great way. Some of you are involved in ministry to children. Uh, way to go. Way to go for stopping and taking notice of them when they're playing Frisbee over here. and Being loud and obnoxious. Way to go. That was you when, actually that's you now still. So, but... Kidding. But children watch you. They do. They listen. They hear the words you speak. They see the choices. Probably more than you realize. And that, and that goes for all of us. There's younger people watching. There's young adults thinking ahead to a time when they'll get married. There's some of you that are being watched in your marriage. I've heard this from, from young over the years. And, and many of you know this. Some of you may not realize this, but it's, it's true. That's, I mean, this is, this is big stuff. As a matter of fact, it's the Titus 2 principle of the, how the older and the younger should interact and how the older should be a positive influence on the younger in the church family. Titus 2, Paul wrote about it. Take time, we won't take time now, but take time to read the first eight verses of Titus 2 sometime today. I have recent proof. <laughs> recent proof. A couple of months ago. Proof that the younger people watch older people in church. A couple months ago, Connor and Chase Spahich were playing frisbee at the back there after church. And I, I walked up the middle uh, aisle and, and motioned to Connor to throw me the frisbee. And he did. He threw it well. And I dropped it. <sighs> Nuts. Well, in three seconds flat, their younger brother, Ryder, was standing in front of me and gave his assessment of the situation. He said, you're not very good at that. Whose kid is this? I don't know if Stuart and Tara are here today. Great kid. Great kids. I, I actually love that. As crushing as it was. I, I actually love that interaction because it reminded me. <laughs> here goes Marlowe again. It's close to my heart. It comes out the eyes and I hate it. No, just, I'm not supposed to say that, right? I love that. The intergenerational experience. Let's never lose that. Let's never minimize that in the body. Please listen. Please listen, my older Christian friends. Ouch. Some of you are trying to figure out if you're in that category right now, aren't you? Listen. If you're 30 and there's a 20-something watching you, you're in that category. If you're 16 and there's a kid, you're in that category. 
Get it? You do. Young people want to see a genuine faith lived out in the lives of those who are a little further down the road, maybe a lot further down the road. They want to see a genuine reality, a deep relationship with Jesus as a template for them to follow. Because they want to live for Jesus. It's hard. It's hard. Two Bible verses that are very noteworthy about intergenerational connectivity. Psalm 78, reading just a couple of phrases. You can look at these on your own time. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. That's the older to the younger. Love it. Uh, We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. That's awesome. We need to tell. We need to talk about the history, our history, our walk with Christ over the years, the good times and the struggles, and be honest about it. And how you work through that to come to the place of committing every day. I'm going to trust. I chose way back then in that situation. I chose to continue to trust God. And then 2 Timothy 1, I remember Paul writes to young Pastor Tim. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that that same faith continues strong in you. What What a great statement. And that's the heart of this church for the next generation, for their faith in Jesus to continue strong, to continue and continue and continue strong in them. And and in part, maybe a great part because of our godly and loving influence in their lives as older Christians in the context of community. See, this doesn't happen without being connected solidly to the body of Christ. So when we talk about that, It's not about just so we can fill all these chairs on a Sunday. No, no, no. It's far deeper and more significant than that. Youth, uh, Fuller Fuller Youth Institute, part of Fuller Theological Seminary, has taken a keen interest in a concerning concerning trend of disconnection of, of young adults from church. Very, very concerning right now in the future, for the future of the North American church. Fuller did a comprehensive study and identified churches that are growing younger and growing by retaining young people ages 15 to 29. And they interviewed these churches because what is happening in these churches is so uncommon. And so they drilled down on this. And I'd be very, uh, if you're interested, I'd be very happy to send you a a link of of a 40-minute presentation as part of a webinar on this topic. I, I would love for you to just email me at the church, contact the church. I would love to give you that. Give you that link. But this, this study made an important and really, a, I think, quite an obvious, straightforward observation that churches who intentionally grow younger, as we sometimes use the phrase, consistently experience fresh vitality throughout the whole, throughout the whole church. Who doesn't like the sound of fresh vitality? And yet what occasionally can happen when church leaders announce something like, we're, we're going we're gonna to ramp up our efforts. We're going to ramp up our focus to reaching young people. We, we are going to intentionally lean young in this inter, intergenerational gathering for, for the sake of the future of our church. 
and for the future spiritually of our young people. And that announcement, declaration is made and has been in, in many churches and I'm hearing of it and it's exciting. But, but sometimes when a vision like that is cast, sadly, a response by some adults can be, well, what about us? That's come back to my ears a couple times over the years. That response. What, what, what a sad and disappointing response. And, and I, I have to tell you that if an adult said that directly to me, I, I'd have to say with bewilderment, are you serious right now? Adults, please hear me. Moms, dads, grandparents. Please hear me. Any, any clear statement that we make about our church's increasing focus on youth and young adults does not mean there will be not opportunities for you to be discipled and encouraged in your walk with Christ. I mean, opportunities. Get, get, get into a small group. Be here next Sunday and sign up. Take that initiative. Grow with other believers in the context of smaller community. Do it. Commit to being an alpha leader in the new year. Talk to Pastor Joel. We, we grow when we step into stretching situations like that. Or, or become a self-feeder if you're not already on the Word of God. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you, you, know, you know what that's about. You know how to do that. And if you don't, I, I, would, be, I would be more than thrilled to share some ideas and walk with you in that path of growing that direction. But, so adults, please open your heart to this. An intentional focus on younger people makes your role in this church and your role in this church's efforts to reach, disciple, and keep the young makes your role even, even more important, actually. So let's go. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's start there. Let's talk to someone younger than ourselves. Let's befriend somebody younger than ourselves. Let's be willing to learn from them, someone younger than ourselves. Let's, let's be willing to, to mentor and to share wisdom that we've gained in our life as a Christful. Let's, let's disciple. That's what discipleship is. We get scared of that word, disciple. It just means learner, sharing life. The discipleship process. Let's do it. It's a great way for us to be sharpened in our Christian walk because, uh, you know what, any adult who has a meaningful relationship with a young person who, who they're endeavoring to influence for Christ will not be someone who says, well, what about me? To quote one of the speakers at our PAOC general conference back in May, uh, a pastor himself from our sister church in Victoria, Glad Tidings, he said this, he tells people in his church, if you love life transformation in the next generation, then this church will be for you. And that resonates with me. I also love the questions that Christian author, professor, historian, um, Almost forgot his name, Leonard Sweet. 
He writes this about a time he was speaking to a church seniors group. He, was, he, he, he asked them some questions. He was talking about this, this general theme. And he said, how many of you grandparents love your grandkids? Well, yeah, hey, Wes. It's pretty cool, isn't it? How many of you love your grandkids so much? You, you, would, you would lay down your life for them, literally. You would... How many of you grandparents love your grandkids so much that in church you would lay down your music choice for them? And students and young adults, listen. listen to the silence while I compose myself. You need to listen to this. You need to be thankful that you're a part of a church where those who are older, by and large, those who are older than you want, they want to see you engage with Christ and in the experience of, of church life. They want that. And they, and they, want, to, they want to do that with you. You need to be thankful for that. And they're okay with you experimenting a little bit and trying some creative things that, that you think could draw people that don't yet know Christ. Draw them to himself. They're okay with that. You, you, you need to be, and I, I believe that you are. You need to be grateful for older Christians who are, who are mature and, and, and open like that. Express that to some of them. It may resonate with them, it may not. If not, you said thank you, and that's a good thing. And I, I do believe that this is the heart of the majority of adults in this church, and I'm so very grateful for that, as, as you need to be also. So, intergenerational, so that we can reach, disciple, and keep our youth. Secondly, God wants us to be, and this is going to be so surprising to you, God wants us to be a, a, a loving community with healthy relationships. Oh, wow, never thought of that. <laughs> but easier said than done, right? Many times. Pastor Joel is going to be teaching on this more next Sunday in our tag team three-part message on our mission statement phrases. And, and, and if there's some overlap, that's okay. So first, a loving community will embrace something we just talked about, the biblical value of intergenerational body life. And all I'm going to reference is Acts 2.32 that says, all believers were united, all believers were united in heart and mind. Wow, phenomenal, powerful, significant. I pray that for our church always. All believers were united in heart. Uh, heart and mind. All, all, all believers. That's awesome, especially when the all believers is intergenerational. It's beautiful. And, and this is not primarily programmed. Don't wait for the church leaders to come up with a way to make this happen. Hopefully we do, and we, there are opportunities like that, but no, it, it's not primarily programmed. It's organic, and it must be out of our love for God and love for people and love for those who are younger in Christ and younger than ourselves. Take some initiative, Christian. Older to younger, younger to older, take initiative. Cultivating relationships and unity in the body. 
find a way this fall to follow through on this very simple element that we see in the New Testament church. We say, we want to be a New Testament church. Here we go. This fall, how are you going to stretch yourself to build unity in the body by cultivating a relationship with someone that you don't yet, yet know? And I would propose primarily someone older or someone younger than yourself by a good number of years. Do it. I, I expect to hear back from some of you in a couple of months on this. I do, okay? Then in a loving community, grace is the normal relational currency. Grace is the normal, normal relational currency. In a church where grace, and and some of you, this was not your experience years ago, and that's not a judgment statement on any any church, and don't think, you've got to give that to God. If If that was your experience in some church in your past, Release forgiveness if you haven't. Commit to that. But in a church where grace is the response to people's failure, people learn that they can, they can safely own up to their mistakes and then they, then they can learn from those mistakes. They're, they're willing to talk about their sin because they know that they'll receive grace. Now this church, this church uh, and the church that God wants us to be does not minimize sin. It does not minimize the consequences of sin, but it models grace, and it must. It models grace and acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean agreement with, as it does in our culture, right? But it models the church that God wants us to be, models grace and acceptance along, along with the recognition that God's way to live life is the very best. And we're on that path together, inspiring each other along the way to live as God wants us to live. As outlined here. We don't pull a Piers Morgan. Here's Morgan, do I have that name right? Where he says, we got to drag the Bible into the common era, the modern era. And that means cutting out some pages. No, no, no. Yeah, love that kid. Don't know who it is, but love that kid. So, Grace is a normal relational currency. Where there is loving community, God wants us intergenerational and be a loving community. Two things he wants us to be, uh, without question. As part of a loving community, there's also protection. Protection. Others watch out for you. Most Christians can quote John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But not First John 3.16 so much. We know what real love is. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we must lay down our lives for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it says. The body of Christ is about having one another's back. And I had that in my notes, Pastor Joel, before you gave that great expression yesterday at our men's breakfast about this very thing, including the the Ephesians 6 passage that, that you referenced. Ephesians 6 is an important passage about standing against Satan's attacks as he tries to derail us spiritually. And the picture used there, the uh, analogy, the imagery is that of a Roman soldier. Ephesians 6, 
living a Christ-centered life cannot, hear this, cannot be done on your own any more than a Roman soldier would venture into battle alone. Wouldn't happen. Can't happen. It's too dangerous. Don't, don't tell me that you're just fine as a Christian or you can do just fine as a Christian on your own apart from the body of Christ, apart from connection, deep connection with the local body of believers. That's, that's not even a biblical way to live the Christ-based, Jesus-based life. It's not. It's not, not biblical. Ephesians 6.16 says, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And if you wonder about this, you can listen to last Sunday's message called If I Were the Devil, if you missed it. it talks about some of this reality. We, we think in, in terms of Ephesians 6, we, we often think uh, individually as we, as we read this verse, and, and I suppose the whole passage, and, and, and there's obvious application, right? But, but the picture is also communal. It really is. In other words, when a, when a battalion of soldiers, of Roman soldiers, would come under attack by arrows being shot from some elevated position, what would they do? Well, their shields could be hooked together. And, and they'd go into a group formation so, so that all the shields around them would protect and then the, the soldiers, probably three rows, I think of about seven or eight in my reading, uh, soldiers in, a, in what's called a battalion, and the soldiers in the middle would lift their big shields above so that there would be protection all around. Except for their shins in that quasi-bad picture, the only one I could find. <laughs> Oh, in the toe, you know, that, that hurts. It's not going to kill you, but anyway. Um, over the years, I've seen Christians taken out by Satan's fiery darts, as, as many of you have as well, sadly. And most often, it's not because they didn't love God enough, but because they chose most often, it's because they chose to walk alone and therefore they did not have the protection they needed in deep relationship with other Christ followers. So often, I sadly observe that. I've observed that already in our church family this year. Breaks my heart. Breaks God's heart. Watching out for one another in the body takes everyone all in. It takes, it takes men with courage, as Pastor Joel challenged us guys yesterday at the breakfast. It takes men with courage to step into a men's small group where they can develop relationships, uh, relationships of trust with other guys who are on the same journey, wanting to grow in knowing God and living for him and, 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 and uh, you know, a place where they can step in and talk about their anger issues and talk about their struggle with pornography. Or talk about the weight of, of spiritual leadership in the home and what that means. So it takes men of courage to do that. But it's vital. It's vital. It's God's plan. It's God's way to live the Christian life in loving community with healthy relationships. Healthy relationships aren't always easy either, right? Watching out for one another means that... It also means that when you, when you notice someone missing... You reach out. I have evidence from experiences told to me numerous times, sadly over the years, that this is 
sadly lacking in the body of Christ. And that's not a judgment on, on you. It's just generally, I believe that's true. Because we, oh, we, we don't have a deep enough relationship. I don't, I don't know what to say. Oh, it'll be awkward. They'll feel judged. I mean, I've said them myself. There's so many reasons. No, no. So many false excuses as to why when I notice that someone's missing, that I don't touch base with them, that I don't reach out to them. You notice? You reach out. Phone, text, Facebook, newspaper ad, whatever you got to do. You notice? You reach out. Just the gesture. It can be a two-sentence conversation. Hey, man, I've been missing you at church. Hey, thanks for saying that. Bye. It could be a two-sentence conversation. And I bet you, I bet you, it'll encourage that person greatly that you even thought of them. Right? We, we know this. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. In the body of Christ, it shouldn't be that hard to do that kind of thing. That's the body loving each other and watching out for one another, protecting one another spiritually. It is. You see, all of this that we're talking about is what it means to be family. Family's not always fun, not always trouble-free. In an article by Pastor Jeff Surratt, he talks about the local church being a family. He writes this. Sometimes when the family gets together, and he's talking specifically his organic family, the real family. Sometimes when the family gets together, it's very fulfilling and fun. Other times, it's boring and feels like a waste of time. But I don't attend. He says, I don't attend family gatherings because I enjoy them or gain from them. I attend because I'm part of the family. He says, a mistake we made in the last 30 years is believing that the church is about the individual. It's not. Church is about the family. It's about our siblings, he says. I won't quit my family, and I won't quit my church, he writes. Being part of a church family is much more than just what happens here at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. But, but this gathering is a vital part of connecting and establishing initially relationships and, and learning and growing together and, and praying for one another and, and, and allowing God to grow our, our, our sensitivity to other people and to have our, our radar on for people that we perceive are, are, are discouraged and we can speak a word of life and, 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 and pray whatever it is. I mean, powerful stuff for your sake and for others. As I land the plane here, I, I, I want to say something to those of you who may not be, you may not be a Christ follower, but again, you're here today. Way to go. I want to say to you, and I want you to know that there is a place here where, where you can belong before you believe. That there's a, there's a safe place here for you to engage, to explore, to get to know some Christ followers, to hear about what this book says about my life and eternal future. 
how to be a better father, how to be a better friend, how to be a loving spouse, how to be obedient to the God who created me. There's a place for you to explore, to engage. Now, Jesus wants you to come to the place of believe, you know, belong. Um, what is it? Belong? Believe. Oh, there's a third one there. I'm messing myself up. Become. Thank you. And that's the process on the other side of making a commitment to Christ, that we grow and we become all that God wants us to be and has created us to be in relationship with him. Biblically, it means recognizing that God loves you so much. Believing, in other words, what I'm saying is believing is much more than a mental agreement with the fact that, with the truth that there's a God. Biblically, believing means the coming to the place of recognizing he's so powerful, he's so loving, he, he, he is worthy of the, the, the trust of me surrendering my heart, my life, my future, my eternity, my everything to him. That's believing. And so if you're not a Christ follower, there's, there's an invitation for you this morning to experience community in the body of Christ through surrendering to God. And some of you may, may be on that journey of seeking spiritual answers, trying to figure out what this Christ following thing is all about. Well, it, it, it is a relationship with the God who created you. A personal and eternal relationship is, is, is initiated by, well, first by Jesus coming to the cross and taking care of the penalty for sin that all of us bear, but he took it upon himself so I wouldn't have to sink eternally under it. <laughs> awesome. And then we step into it by a, by, by a choice that God's given us the freedom to make, and he invites us to acknowledge, yes, that Christ died for the world, yes, but he died for me, for my sin. I want to turn away from that sin and follow him. That's repentance. Then there's the invitation of, from us to God for him to be the forgiver of our sin. And, and that's, that, that, that takes away the barrier that is between me and my creator. I don't have to work for that. That comes by an expression of faith and receiving an invitation for him to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. And then from there, the becoming. Thank you. Determining to obey God and his word and experience life as he created it to be lived in relationship with him. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And all of us stumble along the way. We let people down. We let God, we don't have to sink under that guilt because he says, if you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, little book in the, near the end of the New Testament, if you confess your sin, I, I'm I'm fair. I'm just, and I will forgive you of all your sin so that we can continue in relationship with one another through this life and into the next. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes, please. I want to give opportunity for those in this place who may have never made that commitment of life, of your life to Christ. Here is an opportunity. Here is an opportunity. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you, but I'd like to give you the opportunity to say, I want to I place my faith in Jesus Christ 
as the son of God who took upon himself my sin and the penalty of it. He loved me so much that he did that. I want to begin a relationship with him today. Why don't you just look my way and lift your hand if that's your expression and your desire this morning. Just want to give you that opportunity as we close. Anybody at all? Christians, thanks for praying right now because there's significant and potentially just exciting decisions that are possibly being made. Anybody like that in this place today that would want to make that commitment or, or recommitment of your life? You strayed spiritually and just want to reaffirm your desire to love God and follow him today. You'd like me to pray for you as we close. See that hand, ma'am? God bless you for that. It's exciting. Way to go. Way to go. The Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now because of that expression of what's in your heart. Thank you, Lord, for this lady who has expressed by upraised hand a desire to know you, to walk with you. I pray in Jesus' name that she would, deep in her heart, be so aware of your amazing love for her. And may she seek to follow you in the way that you outline in your word, in relationship with you, in relationship with other Christians. Encourage her, strengthen her in this commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's Knowing Jesus Personally magazines at the front. If you're exploring, come and grab one, complimentary. We're transitioning here to a time of connecting as we're, as we're doing uh, each week. Parents, please refrain from picking up your kids until 11.30. Their programming goes till then. And uh, newcomers and guests, so great to have you in the northwest corner of the gym. There's a table where there will be a host couple, Terry and Dawn. Thank you for making your way there. If today, listen, if today is your first time in church here, or you've been around for a little while and you're thinking like, well, this, this looks like a place where we could call our, our church home. We, we would love to meet you there. Terry and Dawn uh, will, will be there, hear a bit of your story, answer any questions you might have about Eaglemont Church. And if, there, if this is your first time, there's a, a little gift that we want to give you there as well. So thank you for making your way there as we, uh, we dismiss for coffee time today, opportunity to connect. So take advantage of the opportunity. If you, if you have no kids here, don't take off. This is still part of our gathering, actually. We're not dismissing, we're transitioning, okay? So enjoy one another's company. Find someone you've never met before and have a little chat. God bless you.